our second part of a series called The Awakening. And it started last week and it goes through to February 7. I've called it The Awakening because the one thing the church is doing, and New Hope is a part of it, is we are awakening. We are awakening through the Holy Spirit to the times we live in. And we are living in tremendous, we are living in exciting times. We are living in end times. I believe it. I believe it. Do you? Never has the world experienced the signs like it does today. I like to say that my grandfather, who was a an evangelist, Telling you last week how he went from town to town. I like to say how he believed Jesus was coming. He preached Jesus was coming. But if he was to wake up from the dust of the ground, I was, I was down at his uh, burial place in Nara looking at Liska actually. Was it you or me who found it? We didn't know where it was, but I think Liz, did you find it or did I think I'll take the, I'll take the credit. I found it. We, we found his tombstone and I couldn't help. And next to him is my auntie, uh, my auntie, my great auntie, his sister, uh, Flo, who was a lady at Avondale College working as a, uh, uh, in charge of the girls' dorms. Um, there they lie next to each other in the dust, waiting for the call of the Lord. But if somehow my grandfather was to be resurrected now and he was to look at what was going on in the world, he'd have two reactions. One, he'd be appalled because the wickedness in the world today is awful. You do know that, don't you? The evil in our culture, in our Western culture. We have, we have become a very degraded evil culture who seeks after any evil pleasure that satisfies us without any boundaries. So he would be appalled, but he would also be very excited because he would be seeing signs that he never saw. And surely we will see Jesus come soon. And in this series that we're doing, we've we've already talked and you can see it up there on on the screen behind you. We've already talked about the signs last week. Today we're talking about the rapture. Next week we're going to talk about the about Armageddon. Man, that's an exciting subject. And these sound a bit uh, sobering, these subjects. They're not. They're fabulous. They're all based in Jesus and they're all based in hope. We're going to talk about the Sabbath and the Sunday law. We're going to talk about the seven plagues. And lastly, we're going to talk about the Omega of apostasy. But today we're going to talk about the rapture, the real rapture, and the secret rapture. And I'm going to give you some revision to start off with. Have you got your Bibles? Hold your Bibles up if you've got them. Good. Because I'm like Claire, I don't want you looking at the screen. I want you looking at your Bibles. The screen is for seekers who don't have Bibles. And by the way, if you haven't got a Bible, I'm not like Claire. You could, 12. What is, you're not, 12. You see how cheeky she is? You see what I, I put up with during the year? <laughs> and believe me, she's not joking either when she says 12. There will be 12 lessons here next week, am I right? Uh, if you haven't got a Bible, you come and see Claire, you come and see me, we'll make sure you get one. Very important you have your own Bible. Um, we'll do some revision. Revision. I've already spoken to you, if you come to this church regularly, about part of this topic, the revision. But then I want to share something with you that I find very interesting. The rapture. 
or the secret rapture. First of all, I want to share with you what Seventh-day Adventists believe. Now, it's hard to believe that I started my first year of ministry in 1990. I was 26 or 7, no, 28 years old, I think, just turned 28. So that's 20, how many years ago is that? 20, 1990, 20, I'm into my 26th year. You do a lot of Bible studies with people uh, over 26 years. And except for four of those years, I've been a church pastor. So I've been a church pastor going into my 22nd year. I have never, ever had a single person do this Bible study and look at me and say, that's not true. Ah. Uh, that's rubbish. I, I don't believe that. Now, I've, I've, I've struggled with people on subjects like the sanctuary, like the Sabbath, like the state of the dead, but I have never struggled on this simple study on the second coming. Now, by the way, what study do you reckon is the hardest? This is my experience anyway. What, what do you think people struggle with the, the most? The Sabbath. It's not the Sabbath. It's the state of the dead. Now, interestingly, the state of the dead does come into this subject. But I, I, I kind of, when I'm doing Bible studies with people, put it a little bit further down the track. But I've never had anyone argue with me on the overall structure of what Seventh-day Adventists preach when it comes to the rapture or the second coming or the return of Jesus. Let's look at what we teach and I'm going to go pretty quick through this, so you're going to have to keep up. But I can tell you that if you want to share Jesus, if you want to be powerful in the community, if you want to have your sword ready, ready, if you want to give a testimony when God gives you the opportunity, you need to know these texts. Five of them. I'll go quick. Learn them. Know them off by heart. You know these texts, you can do a Bible study on the second coming. And it's indisputable. Let's look at them. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 through to 31. So let me hear the rustling of those Bibles as they open. Matthew 24, 30 to 31. Here we go. This is what will happen when Jesus returns again soon. And it will happen. You know, I remember when Liska went to... um Indonesia last year. She's dragging me off to Indonesia this year, by the way, for a couple of weeks to meet her family. That's all a bit scary, actually. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to Indonesia and I'll meet for the first time many of Liska's family. I remember she went last year. I remember getting a little bit annoyed at her because she went over there and disappeared. Not a phone call. No, not a phone call, not an email, not a Facebook, nothing. And when she finally did hear, when I finally heard from her, it wasn't a very happy conversation. And sometimes we get like that with God because he hasn't returned. He is coming. And this is what's going to happen. It, Christmas is coming. It is only 360, 50 something days away. But before we know it, we'll be, we'll be experiencing Christmas. Am I right? Jesus 
is coming. And before you know it, you will be experiencing his return. You will experience it. You will see it. This is something that is in your future, not too far down the track. You will see it. Let's look at it, Matthew 24, 30, 31. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. And there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. So they're not happy Jesus is coming because they're not ready. They don't know him. He's not their saviour. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and the heavens. So when Jesus comes, you'll look up into the sky and you'll see, you'll see angels as far as you can see from one end of the horizon to the other. You can't miss it. And when he comes, he sends his angels to get those he loves. You, me. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Let's move quick through these. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven. And everyone, how many? Everyone will see him. This is not a secret event. This is not something that if you're, you're in a movie or if you're at a football game or if you're in front of the computer or if you're asleep or if you're even down in the deepest mines of the earth, doesn't matter where you are, who you are, the Bible says every, every, every eye will see him. Never ever let that truth go. I got a friend who used to be a Seventh-day Adventist. She went and joined another evangelical church. She now believes in a secret rapture. I said, how? I, I get frustrated. How can you believe that when you've been a Seventh-day Adventist? How? You know the Scriptures. You know the texts. Revelation 1 verse 7, Jesus speaking directly to John in prophecy. Jesus says, this is not John who writes this, this is Jesus. John just writes what Jesus shared with him. Jesus says, every eye will see him. First Thessalonians 4, 16, 18, our scripture reading. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, or oh, there's noise, there's angels. Everyone sees him. The Lord himself comes down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with those words. Now, I've been studying the Bible a long, long time. Is that text hard to understand? Do you get it? Jesus comes with what? With who? Angels. The very first thing he does with the voice of the archangel, the voice of God, is he opens up the graves and he goes to get those who loved him. That's the reason. I was telling you last week, I was the pastor at Warunga for 14 years. There were a lot of elderly people in that church. I was talking to you about how I'd often go into the hospital and sit with them as they died. It's a sobering experience. 
to die, and especially to know you're dying. But the vast majority of those people died with hope, with no fear, because they knew that Jesus was coming back. And when he came back, because they had trusted in him, because he was their saviour and they were covered, their life, their miserable lives, were covered by his blood. They knew, they knew, they knew they had assurance that they were saved. Amen. And so they died in peace because of scriptures like this. And then together with those who have been resurrected, we rise up in the air to be of the Lord. Now to complete the story, as a pastor I don't really like using these scriptures, but I think we've got to, we've got to tell the truth. What happens to the rest who when they see Jesus, the Bible says mourn? Well, turn in your Bibles to Revelation. Chapter 6, verse 14 through to 17. Revelation chapter 6, 14 to 17. This is what the Bible says. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and the mountains and the islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave and every free person, we could insert in there, who aren't covered by the blood of the Lamb. You better know what that means. Everyone hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? And Jeremiah twenty-five thirty-three, last scripture. Turn with me. Jeremiah twenty-five thirty-three, powerful, powerful prophecy. This is just revision for our church now. And then I'll get into what I wanted to share with you. Jeremiah 25, 33, 25, verse 33. And at that day, the slain of the Lord shall be from one end of the earth, even to the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall become refuse on the ground. And the reason for that is because the saints have already gone into the sky to go with the Lord to the heavens and there was no one left on the earth but those who perish at the brightness of the return of Jesus. Now that's revision. I could spend more time with you there but I have preached on this subject already in this church. Is it clear? Is it clear? I think it is. I want to tell you a story. Martin Luther was born November 10, 1483. He lived until February the 18th, 1546. He's one of my heroes in history and his life changed the world. Because although there were others, Martin Luther was the father of the Protestant Reformation. Now the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a Protestant Church, amen? Amen. We are a Protestant church. And so this man, his life and his ministry mean a lot to us. And at the very core, if you just strip everything away, at the very core of Martin Luther's message is righteousness by huh? faith. Now, some of us Adventists even are struggling with this gospel. 
righteousness by faith. All righteousness by faith means is that Jesus is my Saviour. Jesus is my Saviour. Jesus took my sins. Jesus paid for them on the cross. And because they now belong to Jesus in return, so there's a transaction going on here. I give Jesus my sins and in ret- and he takes them and he takes them to the cross and he pays the death penalty for them. Hallelujah, amen. amen. In the transaction, in return, so he's got my sins that killed him. In return, he gives me his robe of Righteousness, his sinless perfection. I actually, he actually puts it on me so that when God looks at me, he sees who? Who? He sees Jesus. He doesn't see me. Not one single righteous thing you ever do will help you, will have anything to do with you getting into heaven. Not one thing. Now we struggle with that as human beings. But it is at the very root and core of the Protestant Reformation. Because what they were protesting against is the Roman idea, the Church of Rome, their idea that you are saved by faith plus good works. Now, I could unpack that, and I will unpack that more over the next couple of weeks. But that's what they were protesting against. And Martin Luther saying, hey, 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 the Bible says the just shall live by faith. He goes to Romans, where Paul says, you're saved by your faith, not by good works, lest anyone should. And Martin Luther's reading this, and his heart is beating Harder and harder, and adrenaline surges through him as he realizes that it is Jesus that saves him, Jesus alone, none other. And he launches, he didn't launch it, he launches the Protestant Reformation. And it is amazing when Martin Luther goes to the Diet of Worms and takes on Eck. The great Catholic theologian, this is, gotta Google it, gotta read about it, gotta study about this titanic contest between these two great forces in Christianity, one represented by Eck and one represented by Luther. And it lit the world up. Let me tell you, it was the biggest news in the world in the 1500s. There was nothing bigger. And the whole world was watching. And half of Europe went with Martin Luther and became Protestant. And the world was on fire with this Protestant message that Jesus saves and Jesus alone. And I hope and pray I see the day when the Adventist church is on fire with it too. Such a beautiful message. The basis of the Protestant Reformation was the Bible. The Bible said it. We believed it, we accepted it, we took it. Basis of Adventism today still continues to be the Bible, the only authority of truth when it comes to doctrine. The Protestant Reformation had five solas. Sola Scripture, which means Scripture alone. Sola, and I'm going to say this wrong, the Latin, Sola 
Gracia, grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Soli dea gloria, to God alone be the glory. There's the foundations of the Protestant Reformation. Aren't you glad that you're part of it today? Stirs my soul, fires my blood. I'm glad to be part of an organisation that is a part of that Reformation. Now watch this. In 1491, a man by the name of Ignatius Loyola was born. He has a long life, well, for those days, a long life, lived almost to 70, and he began, founded the Jesuits. Now, he's an interesting fellow, very intense Catholic, um, believed intently, intensely in what he believed. And the role of this organisation of priests that he founded with the blessing of the Pope was to counter the Protestant Reformation. And if you ask me, it makes sense. Because I've been in those days and had been the Pope, well, hopefully I would have seen the Protestant Reformation and I would have changed, changed the whole Church of Rome to Protestant, but that didn't happen. But that's why I'd never be the Pope, I guess. <laughs> um, it makes sense because the Church of Rome was under intense theological attack. And they weren't just losing a thousand here and a thousand here, there. They were losing entire nations. And, and so the role of Ignatius Loyola and the Jesuits to this day was to counter the Protestant Reformation. They actually began a movement called, in history, you can Google it, the, do you know what it was called? The Counter Reformation. You're going to hear more about that at college, brother. The Counter Reformation, to counter the Protestant Reformation. No, no, I don't see anything sinister about that other than it makes sense for the Church of Rome to counter this threat. As I don't see anything sinister about that at all. It makes sense. And that's what the Jesuit order did and it's what they still do until this day. And I'm interested that today we have as a Pope the first Jesuit Pope who's very grandfatherly, um, easy to listen to, I think, very charismatic man. And yet he is part of an organisation, and I don't think we should forget this, whose sole responsibility is to counter the Protestant Reformation. Now, I'm going to tell you this story. In 1731, a man by the name of Manuel Lacunza Diaz. Now, this has got all to do with the second coming. It'll all come together as we bring this to a close. He was born in 1731. He died in 1801. He was Chilean, speaking Spanish for all our Chileans here today. I know there's a few. He is a Jesuit. He's a priest born in Chile. So he's part of the counter-Protestant Reformation. And he writes a book called The Coming of the Messiah in Glory and Majesty. I tried to find that book online because I'd like to read it. Um, couldn't find it. So if you find it, you're Googling it, or you've got a copy, lend it to me. I promise I'll give it back. I'd like to read it. But in this book, The Coming of the Messiah in Glory and Majesty, this man who lived between 1731 and 1801, Chilean, Spanish-speaking, we have the beginnings of a theological theory called, guess what? The secret rapture. 
the secret rapture. And how it came to Protestantism is really, really interesting. And it came to Protestantism in the 1800s. But some of you might be wondering to yourself, what is the secret rapture? I just wonder today, how many of you would consider that you have a pretty good understanding of the secret rapture, what it is? Let me ask you another question. Is the secret rapture a part of Catholic theology? No, it's not. No way. They're a lot closer to us in their belief of the second coming than most of evangelical Protestantism. Is that a surprise to some of you? See, it was written in the context of the what? Counter-Reformation. Now, did he write this specifically to deceive Protestantism? Probably not. I'm not sure. And I'm not sure anyone else is. But it was written within the context of his priestly order and his work to counter the Protestant Reformation. Uh, If you've got any more information on that sometime, I'd be very interested to hear. So what is the secret rapture? It's this idea that the coming of Jesus is divided into two phases. First of all, there's the secret rapture of the saints. So if you love the Lord Jesus Christ today, you could be raptured instantly and nobody would know it, not just you. You'll be raptured at the same time as, and raptured means just taken to heaven. You'll be raptured at the same time as every other saint on the planet. And when I preach this subject, I often say, well, you want to pray that you're not on a plane and you're, you want to pray that you're not a pagan and that you're on a plane with two Christian pilots because if you are, they're going to be raptured. <laughs> or if you're on a train with a Christian train driver, he's going to be raptured. Uh, on a bus or your wife may be a good Christian and you are not and you're lying in bed together and she's raptured and you're left. Uh, This is the doctrine of end events that dominates Protestantism, evangelical Protestantism today. And after the rapture of the saints, people still left on earth alive, there's a time of great tribulation for seven years. And the Antichrist comes in this seven years. And at the end of seven years, Christ returns to set up his kingdom on earth and he destroys the Antichrist. So Jesus' coming is in two separate stages. The first will be secret, the second followed by a great time of tribulation, the second will be very open. They also teach that during the seven-year period, as the Antichrist comes to power, God will select 144,000 literal Jews who will take the gospel to the whole world, converting all those who will be converted, immeasurable souls around the world to Christ so that when he returns, there's a great group of people left waiting for him. That basically is the story of the secret rapture. Now, if I was doing a class here, and I wish it was, I'd love to open it to questions right now. But it's interesting, isn't it? That's a, that is the theology of the secret rapture that our friend Manuel Lacunza Diaz wrote in his book. Now watch this. There's a man by the name of Edward Irving, born in 1792, died in 1834. This guy didn't actually live all that long. He was a fiery preacher in the Church of Scotland, Protestant church. And how the rapture, through beginning with him, 
got into Protestant Christianity is amazing. Irving actually held some pretty eccentric positions on a number of things. He was really the first guy who brought this speaking of unutterable tongues into the church and prophesying and people who followed him and he himself would have visions and they'd fall into trances and there was some pretty sobering, challenging phenomena happening under this guy, so much so that the Church of Scotland took action. Now, they're a Protestant church not far from where we are. And they disfellowshipped him from the church and from the ministry in 1832. So he didn't last as a minister in the Church of Scotland. The ultimate result of Irving's dismissal was he formed the Catholic Apostolic Church. It still exists today, actually. And Irving's movement grew and became the basis of the modern-day Pentecostal movement today, which, interestingly, is the fastest-growing Christian religion on the planet. The only church growing in major ways in Australia until New Hope came, praise the Lord, is the Pentecostals. You can go to Hillsong, you can go to a number of Pentecostal churches here in Sydney. Uh, I think we've got a lot to learn from these people, actually. Um, they're the ones that are growing and they can trace their roots directly back to Edward Irving. In 1830, during one of Irving's sessions before his dismissal, there was a young Scottish girl, her name was Margaret MacDonald, and she fell into a trance, into a vision. And after, and I believe this is, this is a true story. This is a real thing. It did happen. Now you can question, and I would, who was motivating and inspiring this session. But she falls into a vision. The vision, the trance went for two hours. After several hours of vision and prophesying, she revealed that Christ's return would incur, would occur in two phases, not one. What does that sound like? Secret rapture. Written earlier by Lucanza, this Jesuit priest. All of a sudden, this young girl, and I've tried to find out more about her. There's not a lot about her. Falls into trance and she visions. She dreams under the power of some spirit exactly what Lacunza, the Jesuit priest, belonging to the order of Loyola, Ignatius Loyola, she, she visions exactly what came out of that movement. The secret rapture was promoted then by, believe it or not, this preacher, Edward Irving, who also claimed that he had visions exactly the same as young Margaret MacDonald. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. The Scottish pastor, Edward Irving, some years before, 1827, so about five years before this all came about, before these visions came to him and this young girl, five years before, he had translated Laconza's book, The Coming of the Messiah in Glory and Majesty. Do you see what's happening here? Have I lost you or are you still with me? <laughs> Do you get what's happening here? Good, good. I know it's Christmas time, but, you know. <laughs> then a man by the name of John Nelson Darby 
He lives from 1800 to 1882. He's, he's an English pastor and he's a part of the Plymouth Brethren, a big Protestant denomination of that time. He hears about what Irving and Margaret MacDonald are saying, because as they preach and teach this, it's spreading across the north of England and Scotland like a wildfire. And this guy, Darby, he goes up to Scotland to finish, to, to, to visit Irving and he's convicted. And it was this Plymouth brethren pastor, Darby, who then goes to the Bible. And I don't know how he did it, but he did it. You can do anything, I suppose, if you put your mind to it. And creates a case for it from the scripture. And then, this is the final jigsaw piece, a man by the name of C.I. Schofield. Have you ever heard of him? The Schofield Bible. One of the most famous Bibles in Protestantism. He takes the theology of the scripts of the secret rapture and he puts it into the Schofield Bible and it swept across evangelical Protestantism like a wildfire that hasn't been put out to this day. And yet when you look at the secret rapture, the theology, the false, dare I say, theology of the secret rapture, and you compare it to what we looked at at the beginning of this presentation, there is a clash. They are not comfortable with each other. And so either what we read in the scripture is right, what Irving and his friends presented is right, One comes solidly from the Bible and the Bible alone. The other one comes out of a Jesuit book from a dream and then from a dream from a young girl and an older pastor and sweeps across. Which one are you going to believe in? And when I share this with my evangelical friends, they are stunned. But let me tell you something. Before 1830, the secret rapture was unheard of in Protestantism. Martin Luther didn't believe in the secret rapture. John Knox didn't believe in the secret rapture. You can go through every single major Protestant reformer. Not one of them believed in, taught, or even breathed anything about the secret rapture. It is a modern phenomena that has come into Christianity swept across our ranks and taken us by storm and it is a heresy. It is a heresy. Now I need to bring this to a close. But people say to me, why do you make such a fuss? Why do you make such a fuss? Does it really matter how Jesus comes? Well, it does. And it matters mostly for this reason. And I think this is, for me anyway, very important. In 1863, Jesus inspires and brings a movement to the earth called Adventism, Seventh-day Adventism. We are Seventh-day, as the Bible preaches and teaches, Adventists. Talked about this last week. Week. Our very name speaks about our belief in the literal, biblical, second coming of Christ. 
One of the things that the church was brought into being for was to counter this false doctrine. And from our beginnings in 1863, actually even before that, our forefathers, our founders, our pioneers were teaching and preaching the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. And it was hitting our evangelical brothers like a sledgehammer. They'd never heard anything like it. They'd never been presented the, lit- and, and the literal second. You mean there is no secret rapture? You mean there is no tribulation of seven years? You mean there won't be 144,000 Jews who will evangelize? Why do you think the world, the Christian evangelical world in America today is trying to protect Israel? Because this has been in their midst for over 150 years. And as Adventism begins to preach this is like a great light that dawns in the darkness of evangelical Protestantism. And this is why it matters. Because the day of your salvation is right now. There is no second chance. When Jesus comes, That's it. (coughs) Believe this is a lie of Satan designed for no other reason than to lull us into a false sense of I can live my life how I want. Yeah, I might not go in the first round, but I'm only going to miss seven years. Yep, there'll be a lot of tribulation down here, but it'll be okay. I'll be able to go through. I'll make my decision then. And Jesus says, no, no. Make your decision now. Let me take this even further as I finish. I think the devil does the same thing to us today, even in our organisation. We may not believe in a secret rapture. We, not, we, we, we may not believe that... that, that uh, the Antichrist will come in a time of tribulation. We not, may not believe that... 144,000 Jews will gather and be converted to Christ and then convert the world. We may not believe any of that, but I really believe that we are, as a people in Western Adventism, struggling to come to grips with the fact that God wants our heart now. Do you hear what I'm saying? He doesn't want it tomorrow. He doesn't want it next year. God wants it now. And when God takes your heart, he takes everything. He takes your heart. He takes your time. This is where it starts to get edgy, and I've been thinking about this over the Christmas break. He takes your money. When you have a conversion to Jesus Christ that he's calling for, he takes Everything, nothing is the same. Everything is on the line. It is yours, Lord. All of a sudden, your focus changes from yourself to heavenly things. No longer are you digging roots deep down into this earth because you know that this earth is going to end and Jesus is coming. The only reason we are here as a people is to prepare the world for Jesus to come. We are not here to buy house after house after house. We are not here to enjoy trips around. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with buying a house. There's nothing wrong with going with trips. Don't get me wrong. 
But when buying house after house or advancing in our career or seeing our bank account go up and up is the focus of our attention on this earth, we are, have fallen, we have, we have fallen to the deception, the heresy of the secret rapture. In other words, it doesn't matter now. I'll give my heart to Jesus later. Fully, I, I'm at church and I pay my tithe and come on, Lloyd. But but you know what I mean. What it means to give your heart fully to Jesus. It's baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus. Here I am. You can have all of me. All of me. There's nothing I hold back. I haven't got much to give you. I'm a I'm a wretch. And I've fallen, but so many times and sin's been in my life. I've been selfish. I've been thinking of myself, my own pleasure. That's over, Lord. Here I am. Take all of me now. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what Jesus calls us today too. And the only thing as I close that ever was able to move me to a place where I could... Give Jesus everything, and it's a daily thing because this selfish thing comes back real fast. <laughs> I'm out of time. Can I tell you one just quick thing? This is a testimony. Can I tell it to you? <laughs> I work for the church, and this is opening up a little bit, and I don't like to do this because what I'm talking to you about has had a lot to has big impact on me in the last six to twelve months. I talked to Lucifer about it over and over. Giving everything to Christ. I love Fords, Ford Falcons. And I honestly, I really, really like this beautiful little Coyote supercharged V8 they've got in the latest and the last Falcon. Now, I have a car policy. I actually could go and get one on that car policy. Do you know that? I'm talking about the difference the Lord makes in your life. And I'm no saint. In fact, I've had seven XR8s. There you go. I wanted the last one. I made the mistake and I did the right thing in going to the Lord Jesus Christ about it. I have prayed this prayer this last year. Lord, it's Lloyd. You know what, I I know he knows it's me, but I've been, an, I've been a, a, a Seventh-day Adventist um, for 27, 28 years since i come back. I'm, I've got to tell you, at the beginning of this year, I'm tired of Western Adventism and our lukewarm ways that infect me that are a part of me. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm tired of it. And so I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, here I am. Take all of me. Possess me until I see the latest toy. I want a blue XR8 with a supercharged coyote engine in it. And here's where it gets hard. Can I afford it? No. But my I can go and get one on my car policy. 
Well, I can pay it off and I'll have this thing and I can drive down the road and people will look at me and say, oh, I wish we had one of them. Or a Holden driver will say, oh, that thing's faster than mine. I wouldn't dare go up against it. You, you know, you know, all these things. Because I, I like fast cars. And I went to the Lord. I seriously, you know this, Lizzie? I went to the Lord. And he said, no. That doesn't mean you can't have one, but I can't. Everyone's in a, on a different road. I'm not talking universally here, I'm talking individually. Do you hear me? He said, no. There are other things I want to use your money for. Oh! I, I, I pled with the Lord. Can you believe it? I pled with the Lord. How shallow? How selfish? But I pled with him, oh, it's got a Coyote supercharger in it, Lord. This engine won't go on for too much longer. No. No. Oh, but it's my money. No, it's not. <laughs> but I earned it. Yes, you did, but it's not yours. Because you came to me, Lloyd Grolleman. It kind of goes for Europe too. I want to take Liska to Europe. Desperate too. <sighs> I'm finding more and more that the Lord is very happy for me to drive around in my 2001 Mazda 3. (laughs) The Lord is happy for me to go to Europe in His cause, amen? But increasingly, this is my testimony. The Lord is leading me away from the transitional pleasures that have so obsessed my life for so long. I'm not here to make you feel bad today. I'm sharing my testimony and I'm sharing with you where I think through my own Bible study and prayer, God is taking new hope, but he's also taking the Seventh-day Adventist church. God too is tired of affluent Western Adventism and Christianity. Amen? He's tired of our lapsadaisic. Is that a word? Thank you. He's tired of our lapsadaisic, anything goes, long as I'm happy and I'm getting pleasure ways. He's tired of us spending all our money on ourselves and spending all our time and our own pleasure. God is tired of it and it's weakening the church. And it's a, and I'm convicted of it. It's a secret rapture apostasy. Because the secret rapture apostasy has at its very base this concept, this idea that you don't have to do it now. You do not have to surrender now. You don't have to give everything you've got to the Lord now. You can do it later on and you'll still be okay. Well, you won't be okay. Hear what I'm saying today? So what I'm encouraging you to do as I finish, I've been saying that for the last half an hour, as I finish. Never listen to a pastor when he says, as I finish, I'm wrapping up. I'm encouraging you to have a genuine walk with Jesus Christ. I'm encouraging you to get on your knees and to give him everything and to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. He might still let you buy an XR8. Hallelujah, amen. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not making, I'm not making blanket 
blanket uh, 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 um, accusations on those who drive nice cars or live in nice houses or have more than one house or have them. Look, some people have 30 houses, but they use their investments and they use their finances and they use their time in the cause of Christ. Amen? He's got every one of us on a different road. I'm not called to have 30 houses. I'm not even called to have an XR8. Hallelujah. But you might be. Do, do, you, do you hear what I'm saying? The thing is, have a, I plead with you because time is running out. Have a conversion. I plead with you not just because time is running out, because it is a sweet, sweet thing to walk with Jesus. Have a conversion. Ask the Holy Spirit to baptise you and then walk on that road now with God in integrity. Obey Him and do what He calls you to do and you will be powerful. doesn't matter who you are. You'll be very powerful in these last days as this great contest between God and darkness comes to an end. Oh, I pray that the blood of Jesus will cover you. I pray that you'll have the assurance that the cross is enough. And I pray that you will have the Holy Spirit come possess you and baptise you and do something very special with you in 2016. May God, may God bless you.